so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Developing a heart for and practice of racial reconciliation is one of the most needed works in the church today. D.A. Horton's talk, For the City, Race, Urban Ministry, and Cultural Engagement at the ERLC National Conference will help us as Christians think biblically about loving and serving our neighbors and working within the church to promote diversity. We hope you're challenged by this message. privilege and a joy to be with you tonight. Uh, I've been given the narrow topic of For the City, race, urban ministry, and cultural engagement. Yeah, it's a fire hydrant. Normally, though, I try to match the pressure of the topic that I've been given with trying to douse you with an immense amount of statistics and verbal pleas and exegetical frameworks that would appeal to your heart, your soul, and your mind. Tonight, I want to take a different approach. Tonight, I just want to speak candidly. I want to unveil my heart, and I want to be very authentic and transparent, dealing with the issue of race, urban ministry, and cultural engagement. Specifically, I'm speaking to the body of Christ, and if I can be a little bit more narrow-focused than what I'm saying, I want to talk to my evangelical brothers and sisters. The reason being is because we recognize that the church has always wrestled with the tension of conforming to its social and cultural ethic to the gospel but specifically with how to relate the atonement of Christ to the social and cultural landscapes that it has inhabited. This is an issue that I see consistently day in and day out, primarily because of the proximity where God has called me to minister in the city of Los Angeles, specifically in Long Beach. But as I travel, as I speak, and as I teach, as I'm still a student in school, the things that I'm working through and the colleagues in my own faith, specifically within the own tribe that I hold to in evangelicalism, I see tension, I see conflict, and I'm not seeing resolution. It's grievous to my soul. As an evangelical who is also an ethnic minority and a millennial, I mean, probably you may think that's three strikes and you're out, DA. (laughs) Here's what I see. I see two polar extreme responses to the racial and ethnic tensions, even socioeconomic, in our cities in America today. The first response is this. I see brothers and sisters who are doing well, pastors who are doing well in communicating the salvific atonement of Jesus Christ, saturating their sermons, saturating their content for discipleship curriculums with the gospel. And we say yes and amen to that. We proudly proclaim the salvific atonement of Jesus Christ. However, we are doing so at the expense of neglecting social issues and social action. But then I look at the other extreme. To the other extreme, there are those who are working with great diligence and fervor to engage the conversation of justice via social methodology and social activism, yet all the while to juxtapose the prior, 
They are completely neglecting the salvific atoning work of Jesus Christ. That's a problem. There's a problem with both. And my brothers and sisters, my appeal is that we should be healthily proclaiming the salvific atonement while coupling that with mobilizing our people to action socially in the immediate context that God and his sovereignty has placed us to live on mission in, specifically in the urban context. So tonight, that's the balance that I'm calling for. Now, when it specifically applies to the topic of race, race, racism, segregation, prejudiceness, you know what? Those are thorns in the side of the American church. We got to be honest. We cannot try to attempt to wash away the historical ramifications of the church's silence, but then also at times purposeful neglect, even in contemporary times. We have to learn that as evangelicals, it's okay to look at history and not go to the two extremes of either ignoring it or idolizing it. History to us is a launching pad. If we want to be very frank and candid, we would not be good at hermeneutics if we don't consider the historical background of the text that we're seeking to exposit. So when it comes to the issue of race on American soil, we must fully recognize there is historic baggage that we cannot just immediately walk away from and act like we washed our hands. And because I wasn't present on the plantation, I bear no responsibility to anything that goes on prior to my birth. That's not a reality. I normally don't hear a lot of amens from my Anglo brothers and sisters at this point. For minorities, they like we riding, they tweeting, they going buck. (laughs) Again, positionally, I want to tell us this. Positionally, the body of Christ, the bride, the people of God, we have already been what I call ethnically consiled. We have been brought together. Remember, the finished work of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul articulates in verses 11 through 22 that it was the finished work of Jesus that completely obliterated the wall of division, of segregation, that once kept human beings at bay based on gender and based on ethnicity from worshiping the true and living God in the context of the temple. Now Jesus Christ has preached peace to those who were near, which were those who were ethnically Jewish, and those who were far, which is everyone else outside of the ethnicity of a Jew. And Jesus is our chief cornerstone. The job of the cornerstone is to bring two opposing walls into itself so that the structure can now be fit together, the foundation laid, and now the the, the structure is now being constructed and built. Remember, Jesus Christ is the great architect of his church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. For the church of Jesus Christ, death is not an option. And the reality of it is so often we've been competing with Jesus about who is building the church and who is not building the church. If we're going to be candid, we must fall back and let Jesus sovereignly build his church while we submissively be the church. And the way that we're called to be the church is that we have to understand that we are the eschatological foretaste of heaven. Heaven, whether you recognize it or not from the snapshot of God's Instagram feed, which is the book of Revelation, you will see the Apostle John articulate a reality that heaven is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational city. If you got a problem with the cities, (laughs) take that up with the Lord. But here's the reality. If you're a believer, if you're one of God's elect, chosen and beloved, the royal priesthood, you're going to spend eternity in a city. And that city is going to be made up of a constituency of individuals from every nation, tribe, and tongue generations that come before us, and if the Lord tarries, after us, after we've been promoted to glory. 
So positionally, that's our reality. We're the brochure of heaven. We're the snapshot of heaven. But practically, we ain't living in the city of God. We dwell in the broken city of man. And this is where the rubber meets the road for the body of Christ, specifically in evangelicalism. We have to understand that that practical segregation that we see in our nation, and if you don't believe that it's there, look online. Follow a few hashtags of young men that have been gunned down. Follow the hashtags of the police officers who have been gunned down. And look at the angst between the people who are professing Christ. And look at how we are at war with each other, with our words, and with our actions. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And so this evening, what I want to do is I want to speak to that tension about the practical segregation and brokenness that is still being embraced by the body of Christ. And there's three practices that I want to call us to collectively. First and foremost, I think we need more intellectual equipping. Secondly, I think we need more interpersonal engagement. And lastly, we need interdependent endurance. Now, let me run that back one more again, just in case you're writing them things down. I'm a good Baptist preacher, so those are my three points. Here we go. Intellectual equipping. Secondly, interpersonal engagement. And lastly, interdependent endurance. Intellectual equipping. One charge that evangelicalism receives from mainstream culture is that we are not critical thinkers. And you know what? When it comes to the issue of race, I can say amen to that criticism. The reason being, we're not reading authors of color in our seminaries. We're not reading authors of color. We're not reading the works of women. And sometimes even in our higher academic institutions of learning and training for the ministry, we're not reading non-Christians. So we're basically being fit into a mold. And let me be honest, seminarians, you know, you will write whatever is in harmony with the prof so that you can get the perfect grade to get a good GPA and get out of Dodge with a piece of paper. Let's be candid. So this is why I love what Dr. Jarvis Williams is doing, is challenging his colleagues to begin to interweave into the syllabi that we're handing our young people, authors of color, who may not line up with the framework of the theological positions that our institutions hold to. And that's okay. Why is it okay? Because it's teaching our young people who are future pastors, future politicians, future EMTs, how to critically analyze the content that is being delivered to them and how to say, I have a gospel-saturated worldview and this is why I can articulate why I reject these nuances because they take straight aim at the gospel that I proclaim unashamedly. We need intellectual equipping. In evangelicalism, many of our conversations about multi-ethnic issues are not multi-ethnic themselves because we lack multi-ethnic leadership in our spheres of influence, from denominational hierarchies to academic institutions to president's cabinets and even in our pastoral leadership boards and committees. It's one thing to have a multi-ethnic church. It's another thing to have multi-ethnic leadership. Some of us will amen multi-ethnic churches, But when it comes to the systems of executive decision-making power, we don't want to see it. And our constitution and bylaws actually profess it. So we need to begin to critically engage with individuals with different vantage points and different life narratives than ourselves. In order to take our experience and their experience and do what Peter tells us to do in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21, make all of our life experience submissive to the exposition of God's authoritative word. So that we follow in step with the word of God. Secondly, it would do us well to have more interpersonal engagement. 
As you're reading authors of color, as you're listening to podcasts from individuals that may not be in evangelicalism, I would challenge you to diversify your dinner table. Have people in your homes that will share their stories while you share meatloaf, fried chicken, chicharrones, tamales, whatever it is, that you will engage in interpersonal dialogue amongst your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who are of different ethnic descent than you are. Different socioeconomic tax brackets, different education levels, so that you can hear their narrative and prayerfully begin to develop a sense of empathy and sympathy. And this goes for minority brothers and sisters as well. As we begin to interpersonally dialogue with each other, there's going to be tension. There's going to be conflict. My brothers and sisters, listen to me. Conflict is nothing more than the litmus test of our relationships. We can live in the sphere of superficial relationships because we ain't ever talking about nothing. But when we start talking politics, when we start talking religion, when we start talking policy, when we start talking the next hashtag, the latest viral video, now people begin to unmask themselves and we see the stench of death that is still a blind spot in all of our hearts, even as believers. And that's when we must embrace each other, love each other, put into praxis the good exposition of Colossians chapter 3 and let the bond of peace seal us together so we will work through those moments of conflict and disagreement and still hold hands and march on Christian soldiers together. But let me speak from a minority's perspective. Abandonment after conflict crushes our soul. Let me tell you why. As a minority, many of us migrated into evangelicalism and the admission fee was exhausting our indigenous social capital. We gave up a lot to be considered an evangelical. Even in this day, I'm trying to tell people of color we're more than a voting block. We actually articulate the scriptures and we engage in social action in our communities. So don't put me in a voting block and my brothers and sisters, listen to me. Don't abandon me, my brothers or my sisters and my minority brothers. Don't abandon our Anglo brothers and sisters when there's conflict. We need to have long lasting interpersonal communication. The natural consequence of this is that independent endurance. When we remain together, naturally, we will show the love of God in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. We will actually take our roots of the faith and recalibrate them into society today. I'm talking pre-Constantine. You remember when the church was a family before it became institutionalized? That's what I'm talking about. That's what our city needs to see. That's what people of America and the world need to see evangelicals living out. The familial components of the body of Christ. We're brothers and sisters. It's beyond just being an image bearer of God. We're brothers and sisters. We share the same father. Equally, we were born dead in sin. Equally, we heard the gospel. Equally, the Holy Spirit supernaturally regenerated us. And equally, each and every one of us was adopted into the family of God. We're brothers and sisters. Together as one new man, we will tangibly present our culture with the foretaste of God's final plan, which is the city of God. And so in closing, this is not theory alone. There's practice to what I'm saying. I'm humbled to be a part of a coalition of believers who are urbanites, that love God, who are evangelicals, and who are engaged in the balance of proclaiming unashamedly the salvific atonement of Jesus while engaging with social action in our broken communities in the urban context. We're called the AND Campaign. 
And I would challenge you to look us up online, to look at the reality of who we are. And as I close, let me tell you who we are. The AND campaign is an urban coalition that promotes the voice of human flourishing in the socio-political arena. We seek to assert biblical wisdom and restore the true narrative of humankind to its rightful prominence with justice for all. You can view our engagement with criminal justice reform and full-service community schools at our website, The AND Campaign. My brothers and sisters, this is just a start. It's just the beginning. My goal and my challenge is to call us off the sidelines and re-engage on the front line as one unified family in Christ. And the best way I can close is by taking us in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, once again, I'm a fire hydrant. I have delivered content at a rapid pace. At the same time, there's many gaps in what I've communicated. I declare my dependency on you. My whole hope for this talk tonight was to mobilize my brothers and sisters to have their hearts stirred by you so that we would seek out intellectual equipping by reading authors that we don't necessarily agree with or look like, and at the same time, dialogue about the content that they're writing with other brothers and sisters of different ethnicities, perhaps in our dinner tables, restaurants, or in our places where we live, so that we can walk together and endure until we equally are here. Well done, my good and faithful servants. Into your hands we give this mission. May we be successful in gospel proclamation and engaging in the broken societies around us to show them that we are the only ones that steward the message that cures racism, which is the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the ERLC podcast. You can find more information about race and urban ministry at ERLC.com. Don't forget to join us next week as we hear an important talk about pursuing purity in a porn culture.